Hello, good morning, and uh, happy Father's Day to all fathers. I heard a wise saying that the best gift the father can give to his children is to love his wife. The best gift that a father can give to his children is to love his wife. Let me just say a word of prayer, and then I'll bring God's word to you today. Lord, we ask for your blessing as we come to your word. May you speak to us. Your word is a living word. Uh, and it can pierce through our heart and soul and can transform us from within. So we ask for your blessings uh, as we come now to receive your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about the book of Exodus, uh, we think about the people exit from Egypt after being a slave, slavery there for 400 years. But Exodus didn't end in chapter 15. In fact, there's another 25 more chapters after they were delivered from Egypt. And another part of the story of Exodus is the receiving of the Ten Commandments, which we are now coming to this part of the text. Ten Commandments. I don't know how many uh, laws are there in the world, um, but I can tell you that no document in the world history so changed the world better as the Ten Commandments. And Western civilization, the civilization that develops universal human rights, uh, created women equality, ended slavery, created parliamentary democracy, among other achievements, would not have developed without the commandments. And so the point of the matter is, if we continue to move away from God and obeying His commandment, then all these things will begin to fall apart. The Ten Commandments, these are not the Ten Suggestions for a Better Life. They are not Ten Ways You Should Consider. They are not Ten Habits of Highly Successful People, Ten Ways to Climb the Ladder, or Ten Ideas That Might Work for You. It's called the Ten Commandments, and in Greek, it's called the Dicalogue which means 10 words or 10 statements or 10 utterances. Of course, there are many people use the Ten Commandments as a, as a template for many other things. Uh, even the 80s has such a thing called the Ten Non-Commandments. You can look it up. Uh, many people, uh, Bertrand Russell will write his own Ten Non-Commandments and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hutchins and etc. The Ten Non-Commandments. And the commandments, we'll come to that a little bit later. Uh, some people see the Ten Commandments, the way to understand it is a sort of parameter ethic. You know, uh, uh, it, it is almost like, function like a boundary markers or fence posts designed to keep us inside the field. And so we are fine so long as we don't pass the fence markers. And other ways to look at it is, that the, the, is to look at it from the centering principles uh, rather than uh, parameter ethics. But as we come now to chapter 19 and 20, it must have been a strange feeling for Moses uh, to return to the place where God has spoken to him out of the burning bush, same mountains. On his first visit, he was surrounded by, by sheep and cattle and, and all that. But now, he was surrounded by two million people. God had been faithful and seemingly 
and the seemingly impossible had happened. In one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament, God had parted the waters of the Red Sea. And now a couple of months later, the Hebrews had arrived at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb or Mountain of God. Here, they set up camp and barriers or limits were set up as a kind of exclusion zone at the base of the mountain. And when the people look up, they could see in verse uh, 18 of chapter 19. So chapter 19, verse 18, So as they were down at the foot of the mountain, they look up. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The God who came down to speak with Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob was coming down to give his laws to the people. God began to speak in a culture whereby they worship images and all that. The God who came to speak now and to give them the law. So before I come to the Ten Commandments, I want to read through the Ten Commandments. But we, before even I read the Ten Commandments to you, I want to paint the context of that to you so that you will get this right. And for that, I, I need you to turn to Deuteronomy afterwards. The law of God was never a ladder for unsaved people to climb up to heaven. It was never meant for that. It was a it was always a pattern of life for God's people who had been saved from judgment by the blood of the Lamb. You just look at verse 1 in chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, and God spoke all these words. And verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he went on and gave the Ten Commandments. He said, I've already brought you out. I'm your Lord, your God. I'm, I've brought you out of slavery. And now that I have redeemed you, I have saved you, now this is the law. So God was not saying, I'm giving you these commandments so that by keeping them, you may become my people. He was saying, I'm giving you these commandments because you are my people. So the message of the law to us today is not that we must keep these laws in order to be saved, but rather that because we are saved, we should keep these laws because the law tells us how people who belong to God ought to live. This is very important because some people have the idea that in the Old Testament, God tried to save people by getting them to keep the law, but then they, He found out that people couldn't do this, and so he came up with a better way of saving people through Jesus Christ. So if this were true, the natural conclusion would be that the Old Testament is a book of law and the New Testament is a book of grace. And the Old Testament has nothing to do with us because we are not under law and we are under grace. That is complete misunderstanding of the Bible. The whole book is a book of grace. God has one plan from beginning to end, and it all fits together. God even promised the Redeemer on the very day that sin entered the world. God has always saved His people by grace and through faith. We've seen this in the story of Noah, in the story of Exodus, 
there is one God and there is one story. So if you didn't get anything else from this sermon today, bring this home. Salvation from slavery comes before commands to obey. Salvation from slavery comes before commands to obey. God doesn't look down and see them in Egypt and slave in bondage and say, oh, well, if you obey six or seven of the commandments, I'll set you free. No, God frees them by His grace. And then after they are free, God gives them commands. And that is the context. Salvation, then obedience. Don't reverse that because you'll never be saved. We don't obey to get saved. We obey because we are already being saved. We don't obey to get free. We obey because we have already been set free. So let me ask you to turn with me to three texts in Deuteronomy because just to underscore these strong points before I move on to Ten Commandments, I have three points for you in the Ten Commandments. The first text is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is known as Second Law. It is specifically written for the second generation of Israelites who entered the Promised Land. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. I want to underscore this, this point that uh, it is salvation already and then obedience come later. Verse 20 of chapter 6, it says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of these stipulations, decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? What is the purpose of all these laws, Father? And then the instruction is, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible on Egypt, and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and gives us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. Verse 24. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and might be kept alive as is the case today. It's like your children asking you, uh, Dad, why should we go to church? Don't just say because God says so, you know. Exactly in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we obey because our God has sent Jesus to die for us on the cross and to free us from the slavery of sin. So commands come after they have been set free. Second text I want you to change, turn to just a couple of pages down to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4 to 6. Again, it underscores this important point. Verse 4 of chapter 9 says this, After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going, to, going in to take possession of their land but on account of the wickedness of this nation, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. 
to accomplish what He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not, again, God repeat, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are stiff-necked people. So God says, I didn't save you because you were more righteous than the other nations, because all were wicked. God says, I save you because I made a promise to your father, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. This isn't about me rewarding you for obeying the law. I save you because I gave you the law. This is about the gospel promise I gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel. The last text I want to underscore this point of, of salvation first and obedience later is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Just one page, turn one page back if you are using the hard copy of the Bible, which is in the infinitely faster. Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verse 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. There you see, it is not. Just remember, uh, even in the story of uh, Abraham, in Abraham chapter 15, before he made a, God made a covenant with him, Say that, well, look at the sky, look at the star, look at the seashore, the sand. Your descendants will be as many as them. And then Abraham believed, in verse 6 of Genesis 15, Abraham believed, and the Bible says it was credited to him as righteousness. Way even before, 430 years before the law was given to Moses, God already said to Abraham, because Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. You can read all about this in the book of Galatians. Only ch six chapters, you can read through in ten minutes. That Paul was defending precisely because of all this and he quoted this as well. So, the commandment was given in the context of grace that God has already redeemed them, saved them as people and then now I'm giving you the law so that you will reflect who I am. You will reflect the God that I am. I am the Lord. So back to the Ten Commandments in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You have been set free. If I may just put into a simple word for you to understand, is uh, the Ten Commandments is not about justification. It is sanctification. It is not obeying the Ten Commandments so that you will be saved. It is obeying the Ten Commandments so that our lives will model after God that we have been set free. So the Ten Commandments is not justification. Ten Commandments is sanctification, changing you, process, or molding you to become the people of God individually and collectively as a nation of Israel in that context. So let me now just move on to read to you the Ten Commandments. Uh, many of us know 
about the Ten Commandments, but I beg many Christians actually cannot quote all the Ten Commandments. Maybe five, maybe six, you miss here and there. Uh, so just so that I won't commit the sin of assumption, I will just going to read through uh, the commandments. So follow me in chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, by showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, or nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Interestingly, that's the only command with a promise. Honour your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself. And we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. What a way to treat a leader, isn't it? Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This morning at our prayer meeting, uh, Les, our elder, talk about the Trinity. And we prayed, join us every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock for a time of prayer together. Trinity. And so I thought when we come to this Ten Commandments, I want to give you three points uh, using the Trinity. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So first of all, the law 
affirms the glory of God. The law affirms the glory of God. The law announces, number two, the law announces the need of Christ, the Son. And thirdly, the law anticipates the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The law affirms the glory of God. The law announces our need of Christ, the Son. The law anticipates the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just unpack it for you uh, with the time that I have. The first one is the law affirms the glory of God. What it means simply is that the law actually, when you really read the Ten Commandments in the law, the law actually describes the character of God. We read the law, we come to understand the lawgiver. We get a glimpse of the glory of God. When you talk about sin, there are two texts in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, that speak very clearly. One that is very uh, familiar is Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So sin is being defined as falling short of the glory of God. And then in another verse, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, 1 John 3, verse 4, it says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So sin is breaking the law. Sin is, is lawlessness. It's, it's live, not living up to the law in a sense. So you put these two truths together, falling short of glory and breaking God's law, you make an interesting discovery. If sin is falling short of the glory of God and if sin is breaking the law, then we may reasonably conclude that the law actually is an expression of God's glory. The law is an expression of God's glory. And so every one of the Ten Commandments, the law is reflecting God's glory. The law is reflecting the character of God. It reflects some aspect of the character of God. So when God declared, you shall have no other gods before me, it was because He is the only God. There is no one like Him. He's telling us something. If God tells us that we must not make any images of Him, that's because when we attempt to shape physical representations of Him, we only succeed in detracting from His greatness and His glory. The reason you should honour your father and mother is that all fatherhood derives from God and all authority, even within family life, derives from Him. Why should you not commit adultery? Because God is faithful. Why should you not steal? Because God is trustworthy. Why should you not lie? Because God is truth. In Numbers 23 verse 19, says, I'm not a God that will lie like man. Why should you not covet? Because God is at peace and content in Himself. God was speaking to His own people at Mount Sinai, telling them, you are my people, and since you are my people, your lives must be modelled on who I am. And if your lives are to be modelled on who I am, then this is what your lives will begin to look like. So the Ten Commandments are not an, an arbitrary set of rules, but they are a direct reflection of the character of God. The greatest challenge for God's people is to reflect God's character in the world. 
when we obey His law, we reflect something of His glory. And so the law reflects the glory of God. So as you think about the law, let it lead you to worship this God. Know the characters of God because the law reflects that. A.W. Tozer says we are saved to worship God. All that Christ has done in the past and all that He is doing now leads to this one end. And he went on to say, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bought and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. So as we know law of God, it reflects the character of God. It will drive us to worship God. And in the new, new covenant, when Jesus died on the cross, as we celebrate the communion afterwards, as we remembered of Jesus dying on the cross for us, and that is fundamental to me of what worship is all about. Because if your idea of the salvation offered in Christ is vague or remote, your idea of worship will always be fuzzy and ill-formed. The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty. And the more you will find worship welding up within you because you know who God is and why Jesus died on the cross. Graham Kendrick said, uh, worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon you, but it is vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first point I want to give to you uh, about Ten Commandments, about the law, is that the law affirms the glory of God. It, it actually reflects the character of God. The law tells us some aspect of the character of God. And secondly, uh, let me, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the law actually announces our need of Christ. The law announces our need of Christ. The second reason for God giving these Ten Commandments is that they speak to the ten most significant struggles of human experience. Parents know all about that. Parents give laws to their children to target areas of struggle, isn't it? Eat your dinner, clean your room, do your homework, to help us overcome our struggle. You know, parents, we don't need to tell children about watch TV or, or play games. You know, uh, It doesn't really need that. The reason that we do not need to give this instruction is that these things come naturally to our children. Every parent knows that you target your instructions to a child's particular areas of struggles. And so when God gave the Ten Commandments, He spoke directly to the primary struggles that all of us experience. And that is why Jesus in the New Covenant summarized up the laws in two, isn't it? Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. And so if you look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, uh, it can divide it into loving God and loving others. The first four commandments 
is loving God, and the last six is about loving your neighbors. The first four is emphasizing on the vertical relationship, and the last six is focusing on the horizontal aspect of the relationship. And so again, the Ten Commandments is spoke directly to the primary struggles that all of us experience. So the first the the first commandment, God, or you shall have no other gods before me. Precisely, He was telling us that we are not go- it's not going to be easy to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. It's not going to be easy to love God with all our being. You will not find it easy to let God be God. You will keep finding, as Adam and Eve found, that you want to be God yourself. Instead of uh, allowing Him to sit on the throne of your heart, that you want to occupy the seat of the throne of your heart. It will be the biggest battle of your life. It reveals something about us. It reveals our struggle, the commandments. In the second commandment, God was saying, you will struggle to offer authentic worship. You will not find it easy to lift your mind to me with faith and to worship me as I really am, letting me be who I am. That you will constantly want to mold him into your image into your circumstances. And then the third commandment, God wrote, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. He was saying, you will struggle to speak about me in a way that truly honours me. And then the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. He was saying, you will find that there is a battle over giving me your time. Our greatest struggle in, in setting aside time for the Lord. And then the last six commandments speak to our struggle to love our neighbor as ourselves. And when God said, honor your father and your mother, He was telling us that we will have some real battles in life over submitting to authority. That's the first authority that God has placed in our lives. Our parents were the first authority figures God put in our lives. But before you were very old, you probably found some impulse within you They wanted to fight against that authority. Submission is the reality. Submission is actually the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. And that is why Paul even says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. We also struggle with this issues of ongoing hostility, isn't it? You shall not murder. Christ tells us that the issues in, in the Sermon on the Mount, it goes beyond physical violence that includes anger or resentment towards others. And so the commandment goes to the root of ongoing hostility that arises from broken relationships and God is saying, you struggle on this one. It will be a battle for you. And then there are battles. These are battles of our lives. You will also find that there is a real battle for sexual purity. You shall not commit adultery. God warned in seventh commandment. Christ made it clear again: it is not an issue of simply whether a man or woman has committed an act of adultery. You will have real battle to keep your thoughts and your mind clean. And then you'll find that there is a battle for personal integrity. You shall not steal. 
God warned in the Eighth Commandment, there will be opportunities that come to you to gain advantage at the expense of another person. And when that happens, you will discover that you love yourself much more than you love your neighbours. And then you also will have a battle for honesty. God identified this struggle when He wrote the Ninth Commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You will find an impulse within you to distort the truth, to exaggerate a story, to misrepresent the way things are. However objective that we claim that we are. And sometimes we can even tell a downright lie. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. And finally, you'll find that there is a battle over this whole business of contentment. You shall not cover it. In the materialistic world, you will find that when you see what other people have, it will create within you a feeling that you should have it too. So these are the battles of our hearts, isn't it? Are they not? They are the great struggles that we all face in some degree or another. One commandment will, will have greater pull over other, and different people have different weakness in which part of the commandment. The law is like a light. It shines into our souls. And when we look at it, what God says to us, we have to admit that He's speaking directly to the primary battles of our own hearts. Would you like to wave to me if you don't have such struggles? Anyone? I can't see you, so I assume that no one actually waved to me because that in reality, those are our struggles. I'm sure we all have been to doctors. Can you imagine you, you went to see your GP and then you sat down there and then you told your doctor after you waited for one hour, doctor, I want you to know that I'm in superb health. My lungs are functioning perfectly. My muscle tone is ideal. My digestion couldn't be better. My circulation is number one. I have no blood pressure, you know, I have no infections, no ailments, no diseases. You know, doctor, unlike those people waiting outside, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me at all. What could a doctor do for such a person? He would leave the clinic unchanged, unbenefited in any way. He could receive nothing because he asked for nothing. He asked for nothing because he feels no need. But had he allowed the doctor to examine him, his confidence may have been rather diminished. Oh, your blood pressure a little bit high. And we must do some tests on that mysterious lump. And I would probably let the dentist have a look at the tooth if I were you. And did you know that you were diabetic? And so if you allow the doctor to begin to examine you, then you will begin to recognize that. So there are many people who go through life with no sense of pain over their spiritual conditions. They make the false assumption that things are well with them and that having lived generally respectable lives, they are in good spiritual shape. But then God speaks to us in His law. His perfect law, and when we attempt to measure ourselves with the perfect law, it's like an x-ray to the soul. God holds the x-ray to the light, 
and ask us to look at it. And if you look at the x-ray of your own inner condition properly, you will not like what you see. And the law announces our need of Jesus Christ by showing us what we are like. And so there you go. As we begin to see, but we need Jesus Christ. St. Augustine, he struggled to get free from the power of habits that bound him. And so he offered this prayer. He said, O Lord, command what you will and only give what you command. Command what you will, only give what you command. He was really saying, Lord, you may ask me to do anything you want, but the only way I'll be able to do it is if you give me the power. I can't do it. Command what you will and give. Only give what you command. And so the law not only affirms the glory of God the Father, the law also announces our need of Christ the Son. And thirdly, the law anticipates the power of the Holy Spirit. The law anticipates the power of the Holy Spirit. When now we see the character of God, it exposes us to the fact that we can't. Now that we've been redeemed, sanctification is a process, and therefore, Holy Spirit needs to be there to empower us to live the life that God wants us to live. The Apostle Paul wrote that the law is a good thing, just like x-rays are a good thing, even if they may bring us bad news. The law brings us bad news, yet the law is a good thing, for it shows us the truth. It shows us the genuine state of our hearts. We need truth nowadays, isn't it? As they say, truth is stranger than fiction, but we need people to tell us truth. Those people speak truth to us, are people that love us. The law is like a teacher to bring us to Christ. And that's what Galatians says. When you learn what the law has to teach, you will, if you have learned its lesson properly, come to Jesus Christ. And if the law has not brought you to Jesus Christ, then you have missed the greatest purpose God intended for it. And that is why Jesus made the point in John chapter 5, to the Pharisees, you diligently study the Scriptures, yet you refuse to come to me because the law is to expose it for it to come to Jesus, to come to Jesus. They were so busy studying the law, but they have missed the whole point of the law, which, has, which was to show them their need for Jesus the Christ. And so law is like the rails for a train. Law is like the rails for a train. The rails give direction, but the train will not go anywhere unless there is power in the engine, isn't it? So law is like the rails for a train. The rails give direction, but the train will not go anywhere. You couldn't go anywhere, even with the track, unless there is power in the engine. It is the special work 
of the Holy Spirit to give God's people power to move in the direction that is laid out in God's law. God's promise is that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will come and reside in your life. He will receive power and the power will make the difference. And that is where the book of Ezekiel tells us. Ezekiel chapter 36 says this, where the promise of the Holy Spirit coming to us. I will give you a new heart and I will put the new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the Holy Spirit come into that train so that the tracks, which is the law, that the train will move because the engine is there to move. And the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us in this sanctification process. So the, the Christian life is not a matter of believing in Jesus and then try your best to live according to God's law. God's promise is that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will come and reside in your life. You will receive power and that power will make the difference between a battle in which you are destined for defeat and a battle in which there will be ultimate victory. The law affirms the glory of God. The law announces our need of Christ. The law anticipates the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me finish with this. Uh, Charles Price uh, was, of course, um, convention speakers. And Jeff said that when he is here, the, the attendance always goes up, the DVD sales always goes up. Uh, and uh, he wrote a little commentary book on the book of uh, uh, Matthew. And, uh, and he described this story in this commentary. He described a man serving time in prison because he was a thief. Stealing had been his lifestyle until the long arm of the law eventually caught him. And during his time in prison, he heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And he was wonderfully and amazingly converted. And when the time came for his release, the man knew that he would enter a new struggle. And most of his old friends were thieves, and it would not be easy to break the patterns of his old way of life. So the first thing he wanted to do when he was released from prison was to go to church. And so on the first Sunday morning of his new freedom, he slipped into a church building and he sat somewhere in the back, which is the favorite place of people coming to church, last row. And as he looked up to the front, he saw the words of the Ten Commandments inscribed on two plagues, one on the right and one on the left. He read the words of the command that seems to condemn him, which the commandments say, you shall not steal. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. That's the last thing that I need, he said. He thought to himself. 
I know my weakness. I know my failure. And I know the battle I'm going to faith, have to face. And as the service progressed, he kept looking at the plague. And as he read, and as he reread, reread the words again and again of you shall not steal. And he began to take on new meaning. Previously, he had read these words in the tone of a command and a condemnation. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. But now as he has relationship with God, as he said in the, in the church, it takes on new meaning. As he reread the word, you shall not steal, it became a word that God was speaking to him. Not as a command, but as a promise, as an assurance to him. You shall not steal. You will not steal again. This is the assurance and a promise. And as he read that, it came upon him a new meaning. He was a new person in Christ. And God was promising that the Holy Spirit would make it possible for him to overcome the habit of stealing. You shall not steal and the reason you won't steal is that I have put my spirit in you and I move you to follow my decrees and to keep my laws. So there you go, the Ten Commandments. It tells us the character of God and as we look at the law again, we recognize that we need Jesus. And then thirdly, it tells us that the Holy Spirit is there to empower us to move towards this sanctification process and individually reflect the character of God and collectively as a people of God in that context, Israel, reflecting and living up to God and they become a light in the world. And that will be the challenge for us this morning. May you find Christ in your life and may you open your heart to Jesus and may the Holy Spirit come upon you and set you free and bring you down a pathway that will live a life that honors God. Let me just say a word of prayer and then I'll invite Pastor Caroline to come forward. Father, thank you for uh, your beautiful uh, laws and your words. Thank you, Lord. If we have understood the law of God, it should cause us to fall down in worship because the law shows us who you are and what you are like. And we bow down and worship this Almighty God. And if we have understood the law of God, it will make us cling to Jesus Christ because we will be absolutely clear about why we need Jesus Christ. Because within us, we are so powerless we are so sinful. And when we really understood, understand the law, it will give us direction for a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit in which we are not destined for defeat, but we are destined for victory. Lord, speak to us. May you uh, give us the power to the Holy Spirit to live those kind of lives that honors you, that brings you praise. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.